0: We'll take your Bibles tonight and turn to John and chapter number four. In honor of God's word, we'll stand. John chapter number four. We'll take a week away from our series in the book of Job and um, look forward to getting back to that. We're seeing over and over there in that study that God is firmly in control and knows what's going on. And he made the ostrich very fast. So that's one thing that we've seen. Along with many other things. So tonight, just um, with the business meeting and thinking about uh, our theme, I want to do some preaching along the way. Also, just um, in light of the theme and in preparation, even with the uh, the missions conference coming, uh, those those big events have a way of sneaking up on us. You know what I mean by that? I mean b- before you know it, it's here, and something, something uh, that is of such great significance. I think we need to get prepared for it just spiritually as a church family. So that's part of the effort here tonight. So in John chapter number four, we're going to look at verse 27 and uh, we'll we'll read through verse number 42. And we'll pick up some of the uh, rest of the account tonight. But for the sake of time, we'll just start our reading in verse number 27. The Bible says, and upon this, so we'll review what that was, but upon this came his disciples and marveled that he, Jesus, talked with the woman, yet no man said, what seekest thou or why talkest thou with her? Can you hear their tone right there? Perhaps, why, why, are you talk, why is he talking with her? Can you hear them talking among themselves perhaps? But nobody dared ask him that. <clears throat> The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. So the men are coming, the men of the city. It's interesting to me that that she went to the men, not to the women, maybe because of her reputation The women didn't have much to do with her. I don't know. But the Bible says the men came from the city. So they're coming, they're on their way. So in the meantime, all right, it says in verse number 31, in the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him saying, master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, if any man brought him aught to eat, did somebody else bring him something to eat. <laughs> Jesus saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. In fact, that's an interesting study. If you just carry that through, even just in the gospel of John, how many times it talks about Jesus Doing the work that the Father gave him to do. It's an interesting study, but here it's very clear. He says, I have meat to eat that you know not of. My meat, my food, what, I, what I'm living for, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye that there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. Don't, don't you have that saying among yourselves that there's four months in harvest, four months in harvest? Behold I say unto you lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already already to harvest and he that reapeth receiveth wages so this is this is going on right now he that reapeth those that are reaping are receiving payment they're receiving wages and gathereth fruit unto, unto life eternal that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored and ye entered into their labors. Notice uh, thir- verse 39 and many of the Samaritans of, the, of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were coming to him they besought him that he would tarry with them and he abode there two days. Most Jews wouldn't abide there two seconds but he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word and said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ. Watch what they say here. Here's some Samaritans uh, with more biblical insight than Jews, the Savior of the world. Wow, that's awesome. And so tonight, um, in our series, Into His Harvest, our theme comes, as, as you know, and for the sake of our guest, uh, Jesus said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. And so this is our third sermon in that series. And so I'm calling it tonight this, the immediate business of the church. The immediate business, what we cannot delay on, the, the immediate business. Now we've got other business to do with tonight, but the immediate business, the immediate business of the church. So may God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. The immediate business of the church. What is the business of Southwest Baptist Church? <clears throat> This text in many ways illustrates that there's a danger for those who have much exposure to Jesus or who have been long with Jesus or for a considerable considerable amount of time that they are in danger of saying less rather than more about him. Those that have been around him a while are in danger of saying less rather than more about him. This passage, uh, along with Matthew 9, uh, as you can tell just from the reading, especially what we gave consideration to uh, beginning in verse number 35 especially, really does tie in nicely with our theme about going into his harvest as Jesus talks about those that are sowing and those that are reaping and the harvest and, and getting engaged in the harvest, even using that terminology. Uh, don't you have a saying that it's four months and comes harvest? In other words, it's, it's not like you need to get real busy about that right now. That'll come. And so Jesus takes that and uses it as an analogy. And, and here we are, you know, getting ready for our missions conference. And uh, in fact, you maybe received an email today and about the, from the missions voice and, um, and you can print out a hard copy, but 21 days of prayer in preparation. So beginning a week from today, 21 days of prayer for the missions conference. And it'll lead you into, into praying for the missionaries that we have, uh, that'll be with us. Seeing the multitudes is divided into these three different, uh, weeks, basically, uh, seeing the multitudes being moved with compassion and then praying for laborers into his harvest. And it gives a little, uh, uh, synopsis of each of the countries, such as Nepal, that, listen to this, is 90% unreached. 90% unreached. And then the Hales in Portugal, um, the need that's there, and the Hastings in Germany, and, and the Leclerc's in Guam, and, and Roman Catholicism that is prevalent there, and then the Millers that are going to Serbia, and the Serbian Orthodoxy that is prevalent there and then the reasoners uh, Joel and Michelle and in Russia and 54% Russian Orthodox and the rigs in Zambia um, that it shows a a percentage as far as the population and how that 46% uh, are under the age of 14 so there's a great need for Uh, work to be done among the young people of Zambia and then the Williams to Peru, obviously a large percentage Roman Catholic. What that's telling us is that there's a great need that is still yet in the world, obviously. It's a great need. And Jesus told us to pray that God would send forth laborers into his harvest. Um, We see many things in this text. In fact, we may come back at some point to preach a portion of this or at least to refer to it But one thing I see here is that Jesus did not allow racial tensions to keep him from the harvest. He was going from Jerusalem back to Galilee to the north. And typically a Jew, many of you would know this, but I want to make sure that we're all on the same page here, that the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along because the Samaritans were half Jew and half Gentile. They were blended, a mixed race and so the Jews didn't have anything to do with Gentiles, but they, they also didn't have much to do with Samaritans. And, and, uh, and so they would typically, if they were going from Jerusalem up to the area of Galilee, then they would actually bypass Samaria by going on the eastern side of the Jordan River, even if it was out of their way. Now Jesus intentionally went through Samaria. Samaria. And many of you are familiar with uh, John chapter 4 and how he says, I must needs go through Samaria. And so he's on his way through and he, he's uh, coming upon a lady that is at this well. Um, and she's unnamed in the text. In fact, I think there's a contrast because if you are following along in the gospel of John, you see that uh, Jesus needed no man to tell him what was in men because he knew men. There was a man named Nicodemus. That's John chapter 3. So then there's a woman here at the well who's a Samaritan woman. And so I like what one individual said about the contrast that is here between these individuals. And I I just want to challenge us tonight with these things because uh, I don't think we can overdo it in terms of us being mindful of people and their souls and their spiritual need. This individual said that Nicodemus was seeking. She was rather indifferent He was a respected ruler. She was an outcast. He was a Jew. She was a Samaritan. He was moral. She was obviously immoral. He was learned in religious matters. She was not, and yet both of them needed to be born again. Normally, uh, men didn't even speak to women in public like Jesus is here, especially a Samaritan woman, but... But I read and studied that even sometimes uh, men just wouldn't talk to women in public because of how that might be perceived. I even read one individual that said a man might not even talk to his wife in public. Now, I'm not advocating that. I'm just telling you what the Jews would do, that they wouldn't even talk to their wife in public just because they didn't know what people would think of if that was his wife. Anyways, I mean, they were just really rigid about that. Now, I'm going to advise every man here, talk to your wife in public, okay? But, But I'm just saying... Uh, here, here's the disciples coming up on the scene and they see Jesus alone talking to this woman and they know she's from Samaria. Now I'm telling you, that raised eyebrows. Now there's nothing in, inappropriate here, of course, but they were talking about it for sure. Well, the, the disciples had, uh, they had gone to, um, to get lunch. Basically, they had gone in into the towns. So I thought about that. You know, I mean, they didn't have much to do with the Samaritans except if they were hungry. And that was the only place to get a meal. Then they'd be willing to go to the Samaritan restaurant or takeout and get some lunch and bring it back. So that's that's what they did. So they interacted with people, evidently, to some extent. And then they came back or they were making their way back. To Jesus. In the meantime, you have this discussion between Jesus and this woman. It's a wonderful discussion. And, and what you see is you see Jesus uh, patiently, lovingly, bringing her to an understanding as to who he is. In fact, I love the progression here. Let me point it out for you. Notice that, that in verse number nine, she refers to him as a Jew. She says, how is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh drink of me, who is a woman of Samaria. What I mean, Jews didn't have any dealings with Samaritans. They sure didn't drink after them. And you're asking a drink of me and you're a Jew. So she first of all recognizes him as a Jew. Look at verse number 11. Some of you no doubt have seen this before, but I think it really is a a good um, lesson for all of us. She says in verse 11, she saith unto him, sir, thou hast nothing. So she refers to him as sir. So he was a Jew. She says, sir, you don't don't have anything to draw with. You can't draw any water up out of the well, sir. Look at verse number 19 though, after he, uh, well, I mean, he revealed her private life. Um, Then she says, I perceive that thou art a prophet. So she went from saying, uh, you're a Jew to sir, to you're a prophet. And then in verse number 25 and 29, she says, is he not the Christ? So she progressively came to an understanding as to who he is. Now, that's good for us to remember. It's not not the main point of the message, but I think it's worth us bearing out here that as we deal with the loss, we need to understand even right here in Oklahoma, there are people that don't understand the Bible. And they don't know the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we need to be patient with them and help them to understand who Jesus is. And Jesus very lovingly did so in helping her to understand exactly who uh, he was. Now, she was focused on material things. She was focused on the water there. She came at a time when the women would not be there. They typically would have come earlier in the morning. She's there at midday. I would say most likely because she was not wanting to interact with very many women in town because she knew her reputation and they did too. She's focused on... Water and basically just day-to-day living. You know, there's a lot of people living right here in Oklahoma City that you go to work with, you go to school with, that are just focused on getting by day-to-day. Jesus says um, that he wanted to offer to her water, that if she would drink of this water, that she'd never thirst again. And she said, sir, give me this water. Now, she didn't fully understand exactly what he was talking about, in fact, I do want you to see this, that um, Jesus said to her in verse number 16, uh, in verse 15, I'm sorry. She says, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm glad for you to have the water. Is that what he says? No, he actually says this. Go call thy husband and come hither. This is the shortest conversation that the woman had. She says, I have no husband. That's all the explanation she gave. Jesus said, You thou hast said, Well, I have no husband. Verse 18, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that thou says thou truly. Do you see the point Jesus is making there? He's not going to give her eternal life until she understands her spiritual need. Now, sometimes I, I'm afraid that we get a little bit too um, hasty in our evangelism, and when somebody's ready to pray, we're we're excited about that. And I think we should be, but we also need to be mindful: before a person can call on Christ, they've got to understand. And be convicted of sin to the point where they recognize I need salvation. And that's what Jesus is doing here as he explains this to her, or bears out what her life is. And I, I was encouraged to be reminded of this thought the one who knows you best loves you the most. The one who knows you best loves you the most. He dealt with her in that way. She begins to try to turn the conversation towards, um, you say that it's in Jerusalem, everybody ought to worship. You know, it's amazing how people are are very inclined to talk about religion whenever you start talking about their sin. She's trying to deflect a little bit, but he talks about that, but then he steers it right back to what her spiritual need was. And, And so our intent tonight is not to deal with all of that But our intent is basically this, to to see that our Savior tenderly dealt with this individual because she was an eternal soul that would spend eternity either in heaven or hell. And he loved her regardless of her past. And he loved her regardless of her nationality and, and all those things. He loved her and he saved her. And she came to an understanding that he was indeed the Christ. And then she goes back And she tells the men, and they come, and watch this, they trust Christ as their Savior. Many of them do. Now listen, she had no formal training. She had no outline to use. She had no prepared speech. Here's all she did. I found a man who told me everything I've ever done. Is not this the Christ? She had a testimony. If you're saved tonight, then you have a testimony. You don't have to have theological training. You don't have to know all the Bible. All you need to know is that he knows you and he loves you and he saved you and you can tell somebody else about him. That's all she did. That's all she did. And the whole city came. I mean, really, a a citywide revival, we might say, broke out, and people are being saved all because a woman with a dreadful past got saved and got others in the sound of the gospel. Now, the interesting thing to me is the disciples. They'd been in the same city she was from, maybe they had interacted with the same men, and yet evidently they said nothing about the fact that Messiah was back down the road. Hmm, well, all right. I wonder what went through their mind. Let's get in here and get out. Like most men who go shopping, get what we need, Get out. Right. Amen. Like the Marines. Get in, get out. I mean, just let's get the job done. Let's get out. Yeah, that's good. But I don't think it was just, you know, I they didn't like shopping. I think it was this Samaritan town. Let's get in here. Get out of here. Because um, I don't know what all his plans are, but I don't think it's time for the Samaritans to be saved. That's going to take a lot more work than what we can do today. I don't know what all went through their mind. I realize I'm speculating here, but, but maybe they were thinking, you know, this is going to take some time. I and mean, we're seeing some great results in Jerusalem and Judea and, and all that's going on there. But, but Samaria, really, Samaria, that's going to take oh probably more than four months to see a harvest there. And so they were rationalizing in their mind. I don't know, but all I know this is they didn't hand out one tract. They didn't invite one person. Now, they didn't have tracks, but they didn't. They didn't invite one person, and they come back to Jesus and they see Him talking to her and they wonder why is he talking to her and it's rather awkward, but then they see that she leaves and she leaves her water pot behind. Why, because something became more important than what she came for in the first place and because she came to know the savior and that changed everything. And So then they come up and they say to him, Master, eat, we've, we've got lunch. We got lunch, eat. Now this is what's left of my lunch from today. Ironically, I was studying this passage while eating lunch. And I, <laughs> I got down to the place where it said, and Jesus says, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And I was consumed with my lunch and I was convicted. So I thought that the rest of us needed the same conviction. <laughs> Master, eat. Eat, uh, it, nothing wrong with eating, amen. Amen. You know, I, I've still got a pair in here and two Hershey's Kisses. I didn't pack my own lunch, as you can tell. (laughs) Anyways, all right. Um, I said, Master, eat, come on. And he he says, I have meat to eat that you know not of. I mean, that even sounds spiritual. But they didn't take it. They they said, Who? uh, Uber Eats? What? I mean, who who came by, right? (laughs) Who delivered? No, nobody delivers out here. Who gave him something to eat? Did, he, did you get no? I didn't give him anything to eat it. I have meat to eat that you know of, And but his meat, he says, my meat is to, to do the Father's will and to finish his work. Amen. Say not you, don't you? Jesus is is he's trying to teach them a, a lesson here. They were so focused on the immediate. Hunger pains. They were so focused on what was temporary that they were missing what was eternal. They were so consumed with it with what was temporary, and, and he says, now you have a saying, and this is most likely what it was, a saying that, you know, four months, then comes harvest, so in the meantime, you know, we don't have to be, in like, in a real hurry, because, I mean, you got to sow, and you got to wait, and you got to wait, and you got to wait, so we don't have to be in a real hurry about this, I mean, it's going to be four months until we get back out in the field, I mean, we're going to do some weeding, we're going to do some working, but, but really, we've got four months, he says, now you've got that saying, but here's what I want you to do, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, For they are white already, like right now, they are all ready to harvest, right now. Now he says, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. Now here's, in my estimation, the timing of this is very key to the passage. And I think what he's saying is, look, look right here, look. And he's not, maybe he's pointing out to the field. I don't know what time of the year it was. It could be that there was a physical illustration here. Maybe there was wheat that was beginning to come in, but but maybe it was not. I believe the bigger... Picture here is this, that these men from that Samaritan city were on their way, and maybe even they were wearing white robes or lighter colored clothing because they would do that, you know, to, to stay cooler and such. I, I don't know. I don't want to read too much into it, but I do know this. He's saying, look, listen, look, look, get your eyes off of this and look out on the fields and see that they are white already, the harvest, and you don't have to wait. They're ready right now. The needy are ready. The needy are ready. They're ready to be saved. They have an eternal soul. And so I'm saying to us tonight that the immediate, what we cannot put off, that which demands our immediate attention, the immediate responsibility, the immediate business of Southwest Baptist Church is the harvest of eternal souls because they are ready to be saved and they will spend eternity somewhere. But too often... We're consumed with what we're eating for lunch and all that's in our bag. And we've got to lift up our eyes and I'm praying that even messages like this and others that we'll hear in the missions conference and others along the way that would cause us to realize that there are souls that need to be rescued, there are souls that need to be saved and let us not grow weary of hearing that because it is, just because we get weary of hearing it or kind of get used to hearing it, it even becomes rather clicheous cliche-ish, does not change the fact. that There are men and women and boys and girls that will spend an eternity somewhere and they need somebody that'll be concerned about them. And Jesus says, those that are reaping receive wages. Hey, in other words, I think what he's saying right there, I hadn't really ever paid attention to that part of the verse, but I believe what he's saying right there is, you need to get in on this. Those that reap receive wages. Uh, don't miss out on this. Does everybody hear that? Don't miss out on this. Don't get so busy about what you're doing. And it's not that it's a bad thing. It's a good lunch. It's a good sandwich. It was good chips. Those are all gone. It's a it's good It's a good lunch. It's not a bad thing. Jesus would eat meals. Jesus is not against eating, but he's saying there are things that are more important in this world than a lot of the things that we put so much emphasis on. The business of the church is the eternal souls of men. So we need to give attention to the eternal souls of men. Those that that reap receive wages and and one uh, sows and another reaps. And, and the point he 's making there is that you know you may sow and you may not be the one that reaps, but it 's not in vain I said it 's not in vain. every time you witness for his name it 's not in vain, even though you may not see the fruit then there can be fruit later. To, today, I, I preach, and I use a a Bible that miss susan Llewellyn she she read through. Um, she has 11 grandchildren, and she made it through six of the 11, reading the Bible through underlining key passages, making notes, like writing out a lot of things around there. I mean, it was wonderful. I got to study from that Bible that she wrote for Matthew. Matthew is age 11 now, and I, at the end of the service, I said, Matthew, this is the Bible that your grandmother read for you, and she made a lot of notes for you, and this is very important for your soul. And, and, and I don't know Matthew's spiritual state, but here was a grandmother that was sowing seed and sowing seed, and. You can you can see even just how that she prayed for him and prayed for all of her grandkids. Are you listening to me here tonight? Is this making sense? There's a lot of sowing and a lot of sowing a lot of sowing. And he's 11 years old, but I'm just praying that when he's 22 years old, and maybe when he even gets away from the Lord, perhaps, or maybe when he's 14, he understands he needs a Savior that he's saved. She did not see that in her lifetime, but she sowed and sowed and sowed. And there's a time of reaping that could come. So you may sow and not be the one that reaps and yet you get to rejoice together if you work together in the field. So you may be the one that reaps and you didn't sow. Do you realize tonight that we, I'm talking about all of us at Southwest Baptist Church who are members of this church, as we get ready to have a business meeting and we have positive funds, we're in the black. That means prior to us, people paid the bills. People gave, people tithe. God's people were generous in their giving and we are entered into their labors and thus we are still seeing the fruit of other people that came before us. Some soul winning efforts. I mean, many of you were led to Christ because of a soul winner from the past and we are still seeing the benefit of that today. Just had lunch with the Garvey's and, and uh, the Garvey's mentioned many people, but one of the people that they mentioned was Grady Booth. Many of you know Brother Grady Booth. I, he had passed off the scene, went to heaven before we came. His son, Larry Booth, had a huge impact on my life when I first got here. I mean huge. It's hard for me to measure just what an impact that a Larry Booth had in my life, honestly. But, but see, here's the Garvey's, you know, uh, 21 years later, something like that, that they said, Grady Booth great, greeted us at the door and called us by name and made us feel welcome here. 21 years ago. And they still remembered it. You know what that is? That is fruit that just keeps on giving. Just keeps on giving. Just keeps on coming in. It just keeps on. And it's all to their account still. Hey, do you want something to your account? You know, that's not selfish speaking. That's just saying, you know, well, I want my life to count for the Lord. And so now you watch the Garvey's and they're interacting with people that that are coming into the church. Well, all that is because somebody invested in them that invested in them. And now they can invest in others. And this thing just gets growing. This is pretty exciting when you stop and think about it. A lot more exciting than a tuna fish sandwich. That was good, by the way. Some of you are not convinced. We've got too much sometimes. Man, my to-do list. I mean, this is. This is what I got to get done this week. Now, a lot of things that are on here for this week, it was on last week. <laughs> Anybody else? And on the week before that, and the week, but it's still this week. Got to get all that done. Plan that, write that, email that, get that lesson ready, do that quiz. Guys, you got a quiz tomorrow morning? I got that done. I got that done. It's ready. (laughs) Too bad for you. All right. (laughs) Need to talk to Angie about this. Need to follow up uh, with Brother Smith on this. Need to do that. I I, I got a to-do list. You do too. Baseball. It's February. April's coming. Huh? Spring training, all that. Baseball, not not a thing wrong with that. Business card. That'll keep you busy for a while. Come about your phone. David David will text me. Thanks, but David, I got that. <laughs> Was that during the surf? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it wasn't. I saw the time on it. Got my car minute or truck. I got to take care of that. Got my office key, church outdoor key, this key to the other. We got keys here. <laughs> Bunch of them. Not as many as we used to. I don't know what that key does. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Heartland key, house key. Got a lot of things at the house. You want to talk about that? <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? I mean, it's like a never ending list. And I'm sure you've got your own. In fact, what can happen is we can get so consumed with what we've got going on that even though it's in our bag, a tract that says the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, the world's most important message. The world's most important message. Is it really? It is. It is the world's most important message. So, why does this sometimes take precedence over this? And I'm not against this because I enjoy it. Went Monday and played some with the boys, a nice warm February day, you got to take advantage of that. Went down to the park and threw some balls and hit some to them, and they did well. Hey, that's all good. I'm not saying we we don't do this, but but what I'm afraid sometimes church that we can get in parents, we can get so consumed with practice and and ball and and young people and get so wrapped up in sports. And and please don't take me wrong, sports and your team and you you want to see your grandkids team doing so well. All that that is great, but. Let's make sure that we're also taking the most important message to people that desperately need it. Because the most important thing we're doing on earth is representing who he is and getting others to know him. And you've got all the other responsibilities that are there. And and if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, then we can say, well, I'll get to soul winning when I have more time. But you'll never have more time. I'll I'll care about, let me just ask this. Do the people at your work, do they know that you're a Christian, that you come to this church? They should. Well, I haven't got around to that yet. Well, get around to it because this is the world's most important message. Well, I'll do that when I've got a more time at work or when I get caught up on this project. Are you listening to me? I'll start getting concerned about Saul's when I get my homework done, when I get my reading done, when I get those emails in, when I get the letter done, when I get all these things, when I get the truck washed, when I get this done, then I'll begin. What we're doing is we're carrying around our paper bag sack and saying, God, this is more important right now. It's not that it's not important but the most important is the eternal souls of men. Kevin Higginbotham shared with me, they had a ninth grade boys basketball uh, activity here at the church Saturday night, Saturday afternoon. Everything set up, they had pizza, they ate, had a good time of fellowship, I came out there and I noticed Brother Kevin wasn't playing. I thought, huh, that's weird. He's in charge. (laughs) I mean, that kind of crosses your mind. Well, what had happened was one of those young men um, came to him. I mean, they're literally listen to this. They are getting ready to start the game. And this young man comes up to him and he's been coming to Southwest Baptist Church for a while. Hey, by the way, it's encouraging. There's a lot of young people that are back in church now. They've been coming to Southwest Baptist Church for a while. And and he came to Brother Kevin and he said to Brother Kevin, I think this is how he said it. And Brother Kevin could correct me uh, if it's not. But I think he said this. Hey, uh, do you save people? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we all understand what he meant. Can, Can you show me how to be saved? And so instead of going ahead and playing ball, he took the time to deal with the young man off to the side where he could and led the young man to Christ. Amen. I thank God for that. What if he had said, uh, yeah, maybe later. Or uh, actually, you know, we're getting ready to play basketball and it's the top sport in America right now. You know, and um, I really want to show my moves. Now, Kevin wouldn't say that anyways, but (laughs) I mean, you see what I'm saying? Um, If he had, if he had said, you know, that's good, but let's wait. That would mean that basketball was more important than the young man's soul. And I'm thankful tonight that he's on his way to heaven. I talked to him on Sunday morning up in the youth department and I said, Hey, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that you've got, you trusted Christ as your savior. This is the most important business on the earth. It really is. Have you talked to your kids about the Lord? Have you talked to your grandkids about the Lord? Your cousins, your nieces, your nephews, and on and on the whole list. Have you talked to your co-workers about the Lord? Have you talked to your neighbors about the Lord? And I, I'm, listen, I hope this is coming across right because... I can get pretty wrapped up here in my own temporary brown paper bag of miscellaneous things to get done. And God worked me over about this. And I'll use the word again. And probably you've been there before too. Um, Because even though we know what's important, sometimes we can get consumed with what is time-consuming. Lift up your eyes. Jesus said. And look on the fields. They are white, all ready to harvest. May God help us in uh, being the soul winners that He wants us to be. Let's stand together here tonight. Heavenly Father, I thank you for speaking to my heart about this, Lord. Um, in many ways, um, just needed the reminder and, and um, thank you for the conviction that you bring and the lessons that you teach dear lord and so we just pray that you'd help us now god as we lift up our eyes onto the fields and we look into the harvest field and we see that they're white already to harvest please help us now in responding to your message to us in jesus name amen page 251 we're going to sing tonight some have already come here to this altar and And uh, I encourage you uh, to do that here tonight. The Lord spoke to your heart. Let's take some time to respond to him as Brother Aaron leads us on this first verse.